It's with a heavy heart that I stand here today. Not just because Jared is in the hospital with Heather, but yesterday our fellowship uh, had one of our primary members of the church in a major car accident. And she's in University of Virginia Hospital on life support right now. And so I'm a little numb. I did a wedding yesterday morning at 11, and this lady was supposed to be in the wedding, and she didn't show up. And then we found out that she had been in the accident, and yesterday afternoon trying to seek God's will for a message for you this morning. was not the easiest thing. Do I need to lower this or something? Else? Okay. God's led me to the 13th chapter of John. Most of you could probably quote these verses. I'm going to read two. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And an amazing statement after that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say by your theology. By this, by your love for one another, everyone will know you are my disciples. Let me pray. Father, we're not here to hear my words, my thoughts. We're, we're not here to check off a list of, oh, I've gone to church. Lord, we're here to fellowship with you, the, the living, holy, present God. And as my brother said earlier, Lord, you know all things, even before they happen. You know what's happening with Jared and Heather. You know what's happening with Helen and others. Father, still our hearts. Speak as only you can. Give us ears to hear. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, we know those verses. 
It's a message that's repeated throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Hebrews 13, 1. Let brotherly love continue. Continually be, being continued is what it says. James 2, 8. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. My favorite is in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Some of you can quote that. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then down to verse 21 in that chapter, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You are called, I am called, Commanded to walk in love for one another. But what exactly does that look like? Well, that kind of love, we're given a, a glimpse of that in the scriptures. And so we need to look at a passage that quite frankly, is not normally associated with love, but rather it is associated with hate. It's in the same chapter, John 13, starting at verse 21. After these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to his disciples, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. And so Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus whom you're speaking to. And so that disciple, we think, is John, leaned back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is him, he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it so that so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Iscariot. And in verse 30, after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. And I don't know about you, but when I read that passage, my stomach churns. My, I clench my teeth. And because here we find the vilest offense any individual can perpetrate on another. Betrayal. And if you haven't been betrayed by someone yet, I'm sorry to tell you, sooner or later you will be. Betrayal was considered immoral, even amongst thieves and murderers. Thieves and murderers considered betrayal worse than anything they'd done. And the sheer cruelty of Judas's disloyalty is, is portrayed in, in such a way as to take one's breath away. Now, I know we're used to this passage and we read it just calmly. Oh, yeah, okay, we know. But we miss the 
the emotion here. As a pastor of 40 plus years, I've seen people go through horrible tragedies and experience terrible anguish and, and pain. Just last year, I had to tell a young mother of five that her husband had been killed by someone driving under the influence of drugs. I've seen the shock on a person's face upon receiving news that they had cancer or some terminal disease. Or when a parent was informed that their child would not be coming home ever again, they were in an accident. I've had to tell a man in a loving relationship that his wife was leaving him for another man and he called me a liar and kicked me out of his house. He was one of my best friends. And he kicked me out of his house and called me a liar. And I agreed, he needed to do that. Because he, if what I was saying was true, his marriage was over, his life was over. And I'd rather him hate me than to give up on his marriage. The, the shock and devastation in, in those situations, in this situation, is overwhelming. But the focus of this passage in John 13 is not the actions of Judas. The focus of this passage actually is the love of Jesus for his betrayal, for the one who betrayed him. Uh, the story actually begins at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own, those are his disciples, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, by the way, that includes Judas. Uh, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Judas, knowing that the Father had given all things, excuse me, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from the Father and was going back to the Father, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, Judas is also, and, and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jump down to verse 12 if you're following in your Bibles. When he had washed their feet and put, out, put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then Jesus said, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And that quote is actually from Psalm 41, verse 9. Let me read that to you because we missed part of it. Psalm 41.9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Historians tell us that in the East, to eat bread with one another was a sign of friendship, actually a, a pledge of loyalty. And for someone to turn against an individual with whom they had pledged their friendship was an extremely bitter thing. It was considered the most cruel of all hurts to eat a meal with someone and then go out and betray them. King David in writing about betrayal, in Psalm 55 writes this, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you a man, my equal, you, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Catches hurt. You know, Jesus, Judas was one of the 12 who walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years. And no one picked him out as being, oh, he's not one of us. And yet, after three years of walking with the Messiah, he's about to betray Jesus, the perfect Son of God. And John tells us, Jesus knew who was going to betray him. But notice, if you read this passage, there is not a single hint of anger. Only that of sorrow. It's like David, he who eats my bread has lifted his heel against me. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, verse 21. Now, we don't catch the 
full grasp of that word. Uh, John uses it earlier in chapter 11, verse 32 and 33, uh, at Lazarus' tomb. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We're told when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, at the grave, Jesus was deeply moved at the presence of death, at the inevitability of of death because all of us have sinned and all of us are going to die. He was deeply moved, grieved because the wages of sin is death. Uh, But here in John 13, Jesus faces treachery beyond imagination And we're told he's troubled in his spirit. And I believe with tears in his eyes, he says, truly, truly, one of you will betray me. Not with anger. With sorrow. And here, I believe, we have one of the best pictures in all of Scripture of our Lord's heart. For on the eve of the cross, hours before he was going to be tortured and killed, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, not for himself, but for the one specifically, for the one who is going to betray him. He was troubled because of the awful doom that lay before Judas. I believe with tears, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. I would have been angry, not compassionate. I would have been thinking about revenge. We're told in John 13 in that upper room that the Lord knew Judas's heart. But according to Matthew, no one else did. They were all looking at each other. Is it me? Is it me? And here in John 13, after washing the disciples' feet, Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, 
But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And those words pierce my heart because I've done that. I've said for years, Lord, I love you. Only to deny him, rebel against him during the week. Lord, I love you with all my heart. But I haven't shown it in my life. And I believe when he said that, the one who eats my bread will lift his heel against me. I believe he was appealing to Judas. Trying to prick his conscience. Are you really going to do this, Judas? Jesus was pleading with Judas. There's no, no animosity here. It's Judas, think about what you're doing. Reconsider. Jesus loved Judas. Why, why, even the seating at the meal demonstrates our Lord's love for Judas. Commentators, <coughs> excuse me, commentators after explaining how people positioned themselves for meals in ancient times, tells us that according to verses 23 through 26, Judas had to have been seated immediately to the left of Jesus. And that position was considered a mark of honor. It's like being a best man at a wedding. And the host would assign that position. So Jesus assign that position for Judas. Essentially, you're saying, Judas, you're my best man. Sit here. Everything Jesus did that night was to tell Judas, I care for you. I, I, I love you. But there's more. Verse 26. Jesus said, It is he to whom, to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. 
That was another gesture of special affection in that culture. In the Old Testament, when Boaz wished to show how much he honored Ruth, he invited her to dip her bread in his cup. Ruth 2.14, he served her, we're told. That's what Jesus does with Judas here. Here, here's the cup. Dip your bread in it. Again and again, this evening, Jesus was demonstrating his love for Judas. Again and again, Jesus tried to save him from what he was about to do. However, we read in 27, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said, what you are going to do, do quickly. And after receiving the bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. And there's something more here than just a reference about the time of day. Like Cain, Judas went out from the presence of God, and it was night. You know, it's always night when a man listens to the call of evil rather than the summons of God. And here the way of light and the way of the dark are set clearly before us. Judas had chosen his own place, the path of darkness. And still... Jesus' heart broke for him. And now, John tells us that Jesus turns from demonstrating his love towards Judas to telling us the demand for his love. He puts it in these words. A new commandment I give you, to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have ever spent much time in a hospital intensive care waiting room. You know that place is different from any other place in the world. And the people waiting in that room are different. They cannot do enough for one another. No one is rude in a Hospital intensive care waiting room. 
Uh, the distinction of race and class, they, they melt away. A, a person is a father first, a black man second. A garbage man loves his wife just as much as the university professor loves his. And everyone in that room understands this, that each person is pulling for one another. In an intensive care waiting room, the world changes. Vanity and pretense disappear. Everybody is anxiously waiting as the doctor walks in. Whoever he walks in for, oh, it's good news. We're rooting for you. Now listen to me. The Bible is not interested in whether we believe in God or not. I'm going to say that again. The Bible is not interested in whether you or I believe in God or not because the Bible assumes that all of us more or less do. But what the Bible is interested in is our response to our belief in God. We can say the words easily, but living them out, that's where the rubber meets the road. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must, must love his brother. So let me ask, how are you doing with that? Is there someone in your life that you need to reconcile with? Let me pray. Father, we're not laying down rules and regulations and boxes to check. Father, you have told us, shown us how to love. You have demonstrated love by going to the cross, shedding your blood for me, for each of us. And you have called us to do the same. Forgive us, Father, when we are slow to forgive. Help us, Father, when we are angry with another. 
God, protect us from hurting one another, from betraying our brothers and sisters. Help us to love as you have loved us first. And I pray in Christ's name.